episode 10, The Matrix Franchise. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast that dares to imagine sequels to your favorite films and movie franchises. A journey into the realm of cinematic possibilities. With your hosts, Adam, Jeff, Justin, and Jeremy. Let the adventure begin now. We've been watching you for some time, Mr. Podcast Listener. It seems you've been living two lives. One as a lonely shell of a human being. The other as an awesome fan of the Sequel Quest podcast. Thank you for joining us for another week. We are excited <laughs> to have you here. So uh, so that's what creativity looks like? That is that is what I've been missing? That is creativity, my friend. <laughs> Just at the top of the show here, I think it should be said that you folks have no idea how long we debate our intros and outros to the show. <laughs> There's a lot of discussion that goes on. <laughs> it's all for you. It's Not all for long you. Enough, I should say. <laughs> but we are definitely excited to to be Stop here another week talking about another film. Before we get into telling you what that film is exactly, why don't we just get a hey, how you doing from the rest of the crew? I'm Adam. Hey everybody, how's it going? It's Justin. And I am Jeff. So well said. Th- yeah, excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And there we go. We're going to guess that you read the title of the episode, and that's why you're here. If this is your first time, thank you so much for giving us a shot. This is your third, fourth, fifth, maybe your ninth episode of Sequel Quest. Then you are fantastic, and we are just excited to have you here. So with that, today we are going to be covering from 1999, The Matrix, as well as its subsequent sequels. And today we're going to be conceiving a sequel to The Matrix, just trying to figure out what really is the next installment. What would happen in this universe that hasn't already taken place now i'm just gonna say uh more explosions yeah always more explosions more bullet time right (laughs) yeah slow slow explosions (laughs) yes slow-mo in 3d or whatever revolving cameras yeah turning cameras yeah i mean that's what it's all about they they definitely gave us some, some technical evolution that was what i think the film was probably most known for initially justin why don't you give us a little bit of your history with the matrix did you see it in theaters kind of where did you come into your your appreciation of the film oh yeah yeah man this is one of those movies that i'm not i'm not waiting until vhs was it vhs oh yeah was this on vhs oh yes definitely i yes i remember so i was in college and uh i was with this buddy of mine and i was like dude there's a movie coming out that i really want to see it looks awesome it's called the matrix and he's like the what and I was like, check out this trailer. And he sat down and watched the trailer. And instantly he was like, we're going to see that right now. And so we went to go and see it. And it was amazing. And then I saw the other two movies after that and, and had my heart broken. I was so sad because I hated the other two movies. I And I think, I was trying to think about that this week. Like, why did I hate them other than they were terrible? What I really loved about the first one was that it had that mystical quality. Nothing was fully explained to you yet, so it had this unknown. It had this otherworldly feeling to it. It wasn't just machines and humans. There was this other thing going on. And the other two movies proceeded to explain in great detail Everything that was going on and every it's like in I'm going to get super nerdy here in Star Wars, 
episodes one, two, and three when they explain metachlorians. Don't do that. I don't want it. Stop it. No one. Did. Just let it be the force. Let it be the that he's the one, and we don't know why, but it's just really cool, and he flies, and that, and that's all. That's all I need. But anyway, also, also they were terrible. But the first one was great. The end. Now, uh, yeah, so I, I, I will say that um, this is actually kind of hard for me to prepare for this episode because I'm definitely on the exact opposite side of the spectrum from Justin, where I am not a fan of the first one or the franchise. Oh, really? <laughs> so, and you know, people might, if you've been listening, you might think I have something against Keanu Reeves because I was not a fan of Speed <laughs> either. Uh, but <laughs> We'll it, do it, Point Break next and you can just complete your trilogy of hate. There we go. It's, but I love the Bill and Ted <laughs> movies, see? <laughs> so so it's less about Keanu and I think it's just a genre thing I'm just not into like the R-rated sci-fi you know intense you know action you know especially all the gunplay that's not really my my thing I'm not opposed to it I just eh, doesn't do it for me but you know it, it was so in the popular culture that I didn't feel I needed to see the films like you just there were so many quotes everybody was talking about it you know everybody homages to bullet time and and kind of the green code effect and all those different things you know blue pill red pill just all those different different elements were just constantly being parodied and so for me I was like eh, I pretty much understand it but Justin being the big fan one night when he was back from college uh, back in town we all got together Justin just so everybody knows Justin's parents house was always the the party house so so we were always there just yeah. hanging out till all hours of the night but i was not known was so proud yeah for my ability <laughs> to stay up very late I, I was not the all night party animal in fact i, I got the nickname of moron after 10 i think you came up with that nickname as I, a matter of fact i just you said explain. you were gonna write a after book 10. about that yeah just so you guys knew why i was getting wacky i'm like i can't handle it i'm a moron after 10 um <laughs> uh, but that one of the during this visit, you know, that he was back in town, he must have rented the Matrix because he wanted us all to see it or somebody did. And I just remember like somebody put it on at like 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. So I'm already out of it, sitting in the living room, trying to like take it all in. I'm like, OK, so like the world isn't real. There's a bald guy in some goo. What happened to his mouth? <laughs> and then I just kind of like faded out. Like I just I just fell asleep. <laughs> and, and I so I got like three fourths of the film. And I was like, yeah, it's good enough. I get it. <laughs> then, you know, yeah, I mean, like, what was I going to do? But the what the one that the part of the Matrix franchise that stood out to me was the Animatrix. I don't know if you guys remember this like straight to video oh, yeah. uh, thing yeah. that came out in between the first and second film. Um, but it was basically they, they got a bunch of Japanese, you know, animators together and they did little vignettes inside the Matrix universe. Every time I went to Suncoast Video, this thing was on, you know, on the shelf. I was looking for like my one and only anime, you know, fandom thing I have, which is the Giver and the Americanized kind of goofy live action films. So that's I'd go to Suncoast. Do they have it? Do they have Giver videos? And then I'd see the Animatrix. I'm like, what is this? But I so I eventually did see it. And the one thing I thought was cool is they did explain they had like a prequel inside of that where it explained kind of how the machines rose up. 
from like artificial intelligence to becoming, you know, kind of slaves right. in a way and then and then rising up and taking over. So I thought that was pretty awesome. But then I was like, ah, I don't need to see the other two movies. I'm fine. But the one question I have then is, you know, like I say, I, I don't have a whole lot of history with it. But when I think of The Matrix, when I heard about the concept, it made me think of a conversation that Jeff and I had one day. I just remember like walking home from school and talking to Jeff and saying, and he was explaining to me how... Jeff, I'm sorry if this exposes you as any type of uber nerd. He was talking to me about Star Trek The Next Generation, and he was telling me that in his quiet moments, private moments, he'd been known to utter the phrase, computer and program, as if he was in the holodeck and he was testing the bounds of reality. Jeff, do you remember this? (laughs) Vaguely. Vaguely. This is, what, 20 years ago almost? Yeah. Well, this is great. this is something that I do remember. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, it's no, that's a lie. I don't. Oh, sorry, Liar. Justin. You. Uh, I one more remember thing you don't remember, but but so Jeff, I'm just curious because obviously that yeah. type of concept was already in your mind. So how did you react to the Matrix? Yeah. Well, it's funny, and this actually will make this one kind of interesting, I think, because now I'm very different from either of the two of you. Obviously, I'm going to be different than Adam because you know I enjoy these kind of films. But for me, I remember I went with one of our friends, Eric, and Eric I, I don't want to say, yeah, Eric Searcher. Nice. I don't want to say that I hated it, but I didn't like it at all. I thought it was overrated. I thought it was boring. I thought the story was very underdeveloped. I've always had a thing against Keanu Reeves. And I just, I was just like, what's the big deal? Like, because it does stuff in slow motion, like whoop-dee-doo. I've seen things in slow motion before. I was completely not impressed at all. I mean, even the storyline, kind of like you were saying, Adam, with the whole idea like being a fan of Star Trek, for me, and to be perfectly honest, it's kind of the way that I feel about Inception, where the because I've had so much experience through Star Trek and various sci-fi genres um, with these sort of concepts, it wasn't that novel an idea that, oh, they're living in a dream world. It's like, well... You know, Star Trek does that like every third episode. So, you know, okay. (laughs) But then it was the strangest thing because then one of my friends, one of my sister's friends, um, whose dad was Dr. Rock. Did anybody ever have Dr. Rock? No, it's a cool name though. Dr. Fish. Yeah. Dr. Fishbine. He had a, he had a rock band and he was a doctor too. Um, But anyway, (laughs) so anyway, his daughter left. Yeah, exactly. Uh, left, um, the VHS copy of The Matrix at our house. So this is like, you know, a year or two later or something like that. And I had nothing to do one day, and so I saw it sitting there, and I decided to put it in for some reason. Because, again, I was like, uh, man, who knows? So I just put it in for some reason and just watched it. And then the second time I watched it, I was kind of like, huh, okay. And then a couple of days later, I decided to put it in again, and I watched it a third time. And then the next day, I'm like, I got to watch it again. Fourth time, fifth time, sixth time, seventh time. By the time I'd watched it that many times, all of a sudden, like, forget that I got it. Like, I was blown away. And the fascinating thing, and this is where it even overlaps into the sequels, is that the thing, and and I don't want to get too spiritual on this because that's not really what we talk about. It was a huge way that God worked his way into my life because of the theology of the matrix. And that's what really captivated me is all the ideas of basically the story of Neo is the same story as Jesus, where he yeah. dies and is resurrected and is the one, which is backwards or whatever, an anagram for Neo. And he's got these followers right. and one of them betrays him and then yada, yada, yada. 
and then the theology. Now, granted, at the time, of course, I knew nothing about theology, so I just had to guess. I'm like, so now he's blind? There must be something theological about being blind, because they called him a, bro- a blind prophet. I mean, that's a big deal. So by the time we got, I got to that third movie, like, literally the last 15 minutes in the theater of that third movie, my jaw was on the floor. Because it was just like image after image after image of, again, he's blinded by someone named Cain. And then he has to shoot through the clouds where there is no, like, up in the sky in heaven, so to speak. Everything is clear. And then when he comes down, everything everywhere he sees is light. And just like again and again and again, it was just so much that, yeah, just continued to blow me away. Uh, is it so for me, like you were saying, Adam, with the Animatrix, I love the Animatrix. And I've watched so many of those over and over and over again because, again and again, it's bringing us back into that world. And as opposed to, like you were saying, Justin, with the air of mystery, which normally I'm a big, big fan of, I think sequels ruin far more than they improve because of that reason. On the other hand, for yeah. me, I feel like it created this huge big world. And then when you had the animatrix where you get more elements in it and of it, and like, it just grows bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I was really not nice. expecting that. I had no idea yeah. that you were so That's connected. Really interesting, dude. All right. I'm sure we have a lot of fans listening right now, but for those who are not familiar with the matrix uh, trilogy, perhaps like myself, you, all uh, two of you. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't make it through all the films. Let's get a couple of quick synopses from IMDb. This first one comes from Red Commander 27 for The Matrix. Great name. Thomas A. Anderson is a man living two lives. By day, he's an average computer programmer, and by night, a hacker known as Neo. Neo has always questioned his reality, but the truth is far beyond his imagination. Neo finds himself targeted by the police when he is contacted by Morpheus, a legendary computer hacker branded a terrorist by the government. Morpheus awakens Neo to the real world, a ravaged wasteland where most of humanity has been captured by a race of machines that live off the human's body heat and electrochemical energy, and who imprison their minds within an artificial reality known as the Matrix. As a rebel against the machines, Neo must return to the Matrix and confront the agents, super-powerful computer programs devoted to snuffing out Neo and the entire human rebellion. So there's your first introduction. See, you always pick the good ones. I always nice. like reading the bad ones. <laughs> well, they Those obviously had no favorite. idea. <laughs> they, they wrote the their own movie. The ones that like, don't actually describe the movie and have terrible exactly. grammar. <laughs> Those are the best. Or the ones that are just so vague, like, what's this one? A computer hacker learns from mysterious rebels about the true nature of his reality and his role in the war against its controllers. The end. The end. Well, I don't need to see it now. (laughs) That describes, like, 18 movies. (laughs) Now, this this next one comes from Shrinarora-152-448595, which may, in fact, be one of the machines. Yeah. Sentinel writing a review or a synopsis. Here we go. The Matrix Reloaded. Neo, now possessing powers such as super speed, the ability to fly, and the ability to see the code embedded in the Matrix, begins to find out about his role as the One. He starts experiencing nightmares about Trinity being killed. Meanwhile, the Rebels get information about 250,000 Sentinels reaching Zion in 72 hours. Neo seeks the help of the Oracle, who advises him to seek the Keymaker, who is being held captive by a powerful and dangerous program known as the Merovingian. Merovingian. Okay. Named it. As Neo learns about the history of the Matrix and what he must do to stop the war, he's faced with the ultimate question, to save Trinity or to end the war. And finally, dun, dun, dun. 
released six months later. This was that a description of all three movies? No, that was the second well, he's one. He's doing one at reloaded. a time. Yeah. Oh, that was the second one. Yes. Okay. And now, I'm on board. now we get The Matrix Revolutions, this synopsis by Maximilian King, which is an awesome name. It is a dark time <laughs> for the world. Neo is trapped in the train station between the Matrix and the Source. Zion is doomed to be crushed under an unstoppable army of countless sentinels, but it is not only the human race that is in peril. The machines press ever onward against the humans, unaware that one force within the Matrix has slowly been growing and has taken over that world completely. Smith. There is only one hope for both races, the one force that can stop Smith, and that is Neo. One final battle must ensue, and the outcome of this battle will decide the fate and future of both races. So there's some important details that got left out here and there, from what I understand. Yeah. Um, but well, the one idea. the one that I would want to throw in is that kind of the well, so the one thing that and maybe Justin, this is one of the things that you hate, 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 hated about the second one, <laughs> Thank especially you. That's, was that was enough hate. Um, the, exactly, and that's something I learned about in film uh, film class too. That they talked about uh, uh, exposition, where exposition, you know, when in doubt, whether it's a TV show or a movie, there comes some point where they need to explain a plot point to the audience, and so it's usually right. very like odd, where some reason a character is like, "How did we get here?" Well, don't you remember? Blah 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 blah, and then they right. kind of actually explain it. So there's the a ton of exposition terrible. in the second one, which all takes place in this like ten minute conversation that Neo has in this blank white room with this guy who's the architect most people hated that because it is it's just literally keanu reeves talking to this old man in a beard it is rough but it is like that is kind of the gist of the entire concept is that the entire program that is the matrix has one fatal flaw and that's free will and the only way to account for free will is what they call the systemic anomaly which is neo and so Neo is the answer to free will, sort of. Right. And so basically he has the choice whether to destroy the Matrix and start all over again or not destroy the Matrix, which is going to cause the end of all mankind. And that's kind of what he wrestles with in the second one and then the third one because he decides not to reset the Matrix. And that's supposed to destroy everybody, but instead they fight each other and then cloud in the sky and all that sort of stuff. All right. Yeah. Well, I we're think we're going to save uh, we're going to save Jeff's pitch for the end here because I think he's going to give us oh. a doozy. But Justin, you want to lead us off with your pitch for a Matrix sequel? Yes, because I, I definitely do not have a doozy. Uh, <laughs> mine is called The Matrix Reengaged. So the machines have done away with the Matrix as a failure, and in the peace with the humans, both sides have rebuilt the world. Machines and humans live together in harmony on Earth, and the machines have given themselves a synthetic human form so that they can blend in with humans. Neo, who survived the epic battle, is now the leader of the humans. He's always busy negotiating with the architect, the leader of the machines, and keeping things running with the humans. However, he still pines over his long-lost love, Trinity. Morpheus, his now assistant, suggests The Matrix, now an online dating site that treats humans and machines equally. (laughs) Neo goes on a few dates that are not quite right for him. One machine lady that is in a bad place with her ex starts crying and short circuits. And one human lady (laughs) that wants to meet him in a bar owned by the Merovingian. But when he opens the door, there's a giant orgy with humans and machines. So he slowly backs out. (laughs) He goes to see the Oracle about his lady problems, and she tells him to give it just one more try. But if he pursues this path, then it may just be the fight of his life. Mystified by what the Oracle has told him, 
Neo goes on his last date after telling Morpheus that he's all done with the Matrix. The date goes horribly wrong, but on his way out, he bumps into Mary, a down-to-earth but strong blonde machine girl. Neo and Mary's first date goes off without a hitch. A montage ensues where Neo and Mary walk through the park, make kissy face, young couple stuff. But when Neo goes to meet her family, he discovers that she is the daughter of the architect, the one who he negotiates with on a presidential level. Their relationship is tried and tested, but as in all rom-coms, they end up together and happy and make little baby human machine children. <laughs> wow. This is, this is Wait, the Matrix by again? the Ferrelli You're brothers. welcome. What's the title again? Yeah. The Matrix, re-engaged. Re-engaged, okay. And they get engaged? See, that's wonderful. I love that. Yeah. Is there a breakup and they then they get engaged again? Can we work that in if we go with your pitch? Sure, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's yes. wonderful. I I thank you for starting us off on a ridiculous note. Because <laughs> with, exactly. with a movie this serious, yeah, yes. took, took <laughs> me welcome. off the hook. I had absolutely no idea where to go with this in reality. Like, I had to take, make it real. So I was like, ah, screw it. I'll make it a rom-com. I Isn't that say- how they ended Battlestar Galactica? I think it was something similar to this. Cylons made babies? The spoiler alert. Yeah. Really? Oh, you guys didn't see the end? Then nope. Never mind. <laughs> spoiler I, alert. I didn't really watch it. That was like six years ago. <laughs> Is there a no, sound spoiler alert that? removed. <laughs> spoiler alert. Han Solo is the one who d- people. Come what? on. Spoilers over. <laughs> this we is... have like Yeah, but that's like have six... like a 6 week period uh, where you can use that. Jeff Spoiler. Campbell, Destroyer of Worlds. Yeah, wow. I was wondering how long do I get before I can mention Star Wars online exactly. and nope, it's done. It's over. I'm go- <laughs> I no. Well, Justin, I, I don't know. All right. As I, I will say this. this I if we get some hate mail. It's your fault. Actually, if we get any mail. Hey, perfect. Hate mail. So, Justin, I was I was equally Adam, as lost. So I was equally as lost, Justin, as you were. I really was like looking at, you know, one from, you know, not knowing every bit and piece of the lore. So I really did kind of try to read up. But at the same time, I was just like, and I had this idea. I was just like, yeah, machines want to be human. And then they take on human form. So, like, I was almost on the same path you were and then all of a sudden i just scrapped it and i was like i i think i've got it uh, so I, I have something that uh i think is fairly interesting it's called the matrix resolution and at the end of matrix revolutions the architect and the oracle stated that every human will be given the choice to stay or leave the matrix the question becomes how will the truth be received so the architect appoints a naive but hopeful young woman named Rachel to enter the Matrix and begin spreading the word about the truth so that people can make their choice. The Oracle warns Rachel that she's going to face a lot of opposition but can still make a difference by giving people the power to choose. Getting wind of the plan, a dissenting military leader named Lucius opposes it publicly, telling people that the Sentinels have left them in peace and it's better to start fresh than to waste time reclaiming the hallucinating minds of those in the Matrix. He promises to lead them to a brighter future where they can rebuild the world into a utopia but really seeks to rule as an emperor. And there are some that join his cause and separate themselves from the other survivors, but most follow the Oracle and the Architect's plan as presented by Morpheus. Now, Rachel's first attempts to enter the Matrix and reach the politicians in power who can support the cause of freedom from the Matrix are met with disdain as she's labeled a lunatic conspiracy theorist. Similar attempts to contact the media and press are ignored, and Rachel is disheartened. Returning to the Oracle of Failure, Rachel is told 
to find those for whom the Matrix has failed and give them a chance to rebuild their lives in the real world towards a brighter future. It's also explained that those who have mental disabilities and psychosis are just the results of broken code and will be restored upon awakening in the real world. Arriving back in the Matrix, Rachel visits a homeless community in the slums of Los Angeles and meets a young junkie named Luke, who she saves from being gunned down by a local gang. Rachel tries to tell Luke about the Matrix and, frustrated by one more person who does not believe her, flies into the air to convince him. Luke takes her to the priest who runs the local homeless shelter since he believes that she's an angel. Meeting with Father Ludlow, she's at first welcome, but the conversation quickly turns sour when she alters uh, the Matrix and shows him an opening revealing the real world. The priest fears she is not an angel but a harbinger of the apocalypse and sends her away with Luke in tow. So Rachel begins holding meetings with the local homeless who accept her offer to start over. As they accept the Matrix, each one makes a phone call and is awakened in the real world. Luke is first, but after unplugging, he finds it hard to adjust to the new reality. Meanwhile, more and more people are leaving the Matrix as word spreads of Rachel's truth. Luke is approached by Magda, the lieutenant of Lucius, who tells him that not just the good people from the Matrix are going to be entering the real world, but the bad people as well. So they're essentially dooming the real world by bringing them out. She says, quote, it's like opening the borders of heaven to the inhabitants of hell. Luke is convinced to help a kill squad headed by Magda to eliminate Rachel to give the new world a chance. When Magda's crew attempts to kill Rachel after a session of acceptance set up by Luke, Neo appears to stop them. After the battle, Neo explains to Rachel that she is doing important work but needs to think bigger. He shows her how to tap into the net, saying, Information travels faster since the reboot. Soon people worldwide receive a message to all electronic devices announcing it's time to enter the real world. A viral video shows them the history of the real world and gives them a, blur, a blue or red icon to choose in order to stay wired or wake up. People begin disappearing from the Matrix by the thousands, being unplugged from their cocoons and arriving to Zion for introduction into the real world. Father Ludlow is shown afraid, convinced that the rapture has arrived and feeling unprepared. Meanwhile, Luke is still joined up with Lucius, but sees how he controls his followers and that his plans for a utopia are lies. Rachel's thrilled that she has accomplished her mission and asks Neo to come back with her, and that everyone will be excited to see him again. Neo reveals that he cannot leave the Matrix now, since he is joined with it permanently, but Rachel should unplug to help welcome the new arrivals. She asks what will happen to the Matrix if everyone chooses to accept and unplug. He tells her that it probably won't happen, but if it does... I've gotten pretty good at solitaire over the years. Terrible joke. Rachel <laughs> arrives. Terrible joke de delivered by a terrible actor. Okay, here we go. Rachel arrives, pleased by what she has accomplished, just as Lucius begins attacking these introduction centers and killing innocent people. Rachel begins, becomes distraught, saying that they have set people up to be slaughtered and returns to the Matrix to disconnect the viral message. Neo reasons with her, saying, you can't stop information. You set the truth free. The choice is still theirs, but you have a choice, too. Teaming up with Morpheus, Rachel returns to the real world to attack Lucis's ship and disable it. As the ship is plummeting, they battle their way through the surviving members of Lucius's army. In a final showdown, Lucius kills Morpheus and has Rachel at his mercy. Just as Lucius is about to deliver the kill shot, Luke jumps in front of the gun, using his body to jam the barrel, causing an explosion that kills Lucius. In his final moments, Luke asks, I made the right choice, didn't I? 
Jumping to five years later, we see that the real world is far from a utopia, but at peace. Meanwhile, inside the Matrix, the decreased population has led to the world uniting under one government in general harmony. Father Ludlow walks the streets, still feeling uneasy, seeing the places where his homeless parishioners used to live. Returning to his home, the priest gets an email from Rachel offering the choice to stay wired or wake up. Father Ludlow clicks wake up as credits roll. Cool. Now, wait, what happened to Magda, though? Uh, she basically got killed in that final battle when Morpheus oh, and Rachel okay. invade the ship. Yeah, I, I didn't make a big deal about it, but it, yeah, it would have been a semi-interesting death for her. But yeah, that, that's where she went down. Nice. I like that. I, nice. like, the, I but, like the rapture, keeping with the biblical exactly. illusion. Right. I mean, that that's what I took most of all from the films is, you know, they're, they're philosophical and then, but they really, they really kind of like to tie in, yes, Judeo-Christian theology side of things too. So how, how do we pull that all together? So, but Jeff, did yeah. I violate any terrible uh, rules of the matrix or anything I, I truly didn't understand? Uh, the only, well, and I mean, we can get into this later if that's where we're going to go. The only, the only ones that I would say is that it would probably be, or wait, wait, did you, you had the architect uh, assigning Rachel to do that? Right. It probably wouldn't be the architect. It would probably either be the Oracle or one of the humans. Yeah, and I had them working together, so it was kind of like I don't know if they. Well, they would, but yeah, the she would she would be kind of the head honcho. That would be the only and the one that both of you kind of Neo did die at the end of the third movie. Mm -hmm. So if you're gonna bring him back, like you kind of had him connected to the Matrix, but for either one, yeah, that would be the only thing that would need to be explained. Okay, well, good. Glad I wasn't too far off. But Jeff, no, no, magic. I'm liking it. Yeah, let's hear what you had. Okay, so now for me because. Uh, well, that's what I, I was. We were talking about earlier today. I guess is that for me, the end of the story is kind of the end of the story. I mean, like you, were, you, you. I thought you picked it up pretty well, Adam, of the way it goes on. But for me, I went instead with a prequel. So I don't know how we compare all of these, but um, like Adam said, the pre-prequel, the like Terminator Two beginning of the end sort of a thing, that actually happened in the Animatrix. So instead, I had my prequel being called Morpheus. So we start off as a 20-something college dropout, John Baptiste, who lives in the bad part of town. um, And he drops out of college because he needs to care for his mother and the rest of his family. Life is getting progressively worse as things are going on. His mother is ill. Uh, A friend of his, like, it's a bad part of town, so a buddy of his gets, like, gunned down. And there's just, like, the house is falling apart. And he's getting in trouble at work. Just, like, everything bad is going on. And he... Um, ends up interacting with this guy who lives down the street who's in a wheelchair. And the man who's from the wheelchair tells him about his heyday back when he was an Olympic sprinter. And he actually sent the world record for sprinting. Then he got he got thrown out for doping. And then he basically, this is the plot to one of the Animatrixes, by the way. I was going to say, sounded familiar. Exactly. And this is what it's a reference to. He's telling this story that... He was a runner who got thrown out for doping, but then he made his way back and he finally was going to win his first race when all of a sudden his knee blew out, but he was unwilling to accept that it was going to, like, he was going to come this far only to be stopped, so he didn't let it stop him and he continued running faster than ever before. And then the strangest thing happened where all of a sudden everything around him seemed to break apart and... Um, but then all of a sudden he collapsed and he doesn't know quite what happened. But he, he plants this little m- nugget in John's, um, uh, John's brain. And so 
as things are getting progressively worse, he starts kind of feeling like, is, can, can life really be this bad? And as he's starting to feel that way, he's also starting to notice like uh, irregularities. Like I, I figured, especially for the audience, we would throw in like the black cat reference where he notices this black cat seems to be acting very strangely and like repeating what it's doing or things like that. Um, he starts noticing like, things that he didn't know think were there before or things that he remembered being there all of a sudden being gone. He just starts noticing all of these changes. Um, and then um, one day, all of a sudden the wheelchair man disappears. And shortly after a conversation that the two of them have, the wheelchair man is gone. And um, it seems strange because no one around can even remember that he was actually there. And so, John starts thinking like there there must be something that you know that is wrong, and then he makes this connection based on what the wheelchair man was saying and everything like that that there's something about reality that is wrong, and then he realizes that that kind of the connection that the man was referring to is this total disconnect with re with reality. So he decides the way that he disconnects with reality is he decides to leave all of his responsibilities behind. He leaves his family behind that is depending on him. He leaves all of this behind because he realizes that none of it is actually real. And so he ends up, I kind of see him like climbing up onto a bridge and he reaches that point of just throwing it all away and he just jumps off of the bridge believing that none of it matters and none of it is actually real. As he jumps off the bridge, before he hits the ground, all of a sudden, gasp, he wakes up in the pod that he has woken himself up from the Matrix. So from the pod, he like breaks himself out as opposed to the way Neo kind of got out in the, in the Matrix movie. Morpheus actually has to bust his way out and climb his way down one of those, like avoiding all of these crazy machine things and stuff like that. Um, and then um, is discovered by, a, by a, a hovercraft and is brought into Zion. Now, ultimately, like, I don't know that that's quite enough content to be a movie because there, there, was, there was a part of me that was kind of like that would be interesting to then leave it there and to go into a, a second movie, but that might not be quite enough content. So then the second part then would be about he comes into Zion and it's this futuristic world that looks nothing, is so completely alien, looks nothing like you know the world that he grew up in. Um, and um, as he kind of, there would be a whole part of him living, like getting to know what this way of life is the society um they kind of welcome him in they end up giving him like tasks he kind of works himself up because he's again kind of in his early 20s works himself up so that he's actually going out on missions through the tunnels out into the service all on foot just with his big old guns and stuff like that he meets a young niobe and the two of them fall in love and um along the way he his desire to free his family um, creates this faith in him that a lot of the, a lot of the other people in Zion don't share, which is that anyone can be awakened from the Matrix. Anyone like that—that's not the end of their life. That to be stuck there in the Matrix. So this faith that he has in humanity and the future of humanity and that humanity can grow, he, like that, just continues to grow and grow and grow. And people start kind of like, you know drawing to him and then like start being inspired by him and, and again depending on how far down along the lines we'd want to go we could show him you know kind of growing into like 
a leader in that sort of a way. And then he gets the Nebuchadnezzar and, um, and then, yeah, at some point I would see kind of like a, an end. I wouldn't want to get all the way up to, um, like just before the matrix. I feel like there's got to be some sort of a gap in between, like maybe leaving off when he gets the Nebuchadnezzar, maybe like, maybe they're saying, Oh, he's like, you need to go talk to the Oracle, this Oracle, what's this? And then we cut it off right before he meets the Oracle, something like this, because basically, and that's again, for those that, that, the, that miss the second movie, Morpheus eventually becomes not only the guy that we see in the first matrix movie, but he's basically the spiritual leader of all of Zion. He, the famous scene Justin was talking about is that he gets up and he gives this speech where all of Zion is behind him and cheering. And and like, that's, that's who he is. So it's kind of that, yeah, leading him towards that path of how does he become that guy that he's the spiritual backbone of Zion. Yeah, that's that's really cool, actually. I like that idea. Yeah, uh, no offense, Adam, or myself, but Jeff totally wins. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those yeah. things where you just you look at it and you're like, because, Jeff, you are right. I mean, the, they and they kind of said it throughout the films, right, is they don't they mention a lot that, like, it has an end, like it's even in the trailer for revolutions, right, that they just say, you know, that really was supposed to be the end of it all, and then it was a new Every beginning. beginning. has an end or whatever. Yeah. That's true. I mean, it is, like, I don't know. I mean, again, because, I, I, again, I, I really like your idea, Adam, especially, you know, with the, the spiritual element, which for me was such a huge, huge big part of The Matrix. But it could be, yeah, that whole moving on. Again, you have that weird stuff with Neo. Plus, the one thing I do want to throw is that they have done The Matrix online, where they have continued the story, and then Morpheus gets killed, and then things like that. They fight over the body of Neo, and I don't know if that's canon or... Okay. So so the one so. thing, when, when I looked at, at Jeff's pitch, because I, I think we're probably you know in agreement that, that that's a great way to go. It's, it's new, yeah, it's yeah, fresh, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, But the <laughs> one thing I'm missing, I guess that I don't understand, yeah. is what is the and conflict? And I think people would be really interested to hear Morpheus' story. Right. Well, that's my thought too. But but what, what were you saying, Adam? But I, I guess what I don't quite understand is like it's about him learning about the world. It's all of those things. But what is the conflict of the film? What is he overcoming? What is he battling? What is the triumphant moment? You know what I'm saying? Like what what is he right. fighting for? Fighting against? Because really, they're in the middle of the war, right? It's kind of like the machines well, are yes in no. charge. It's it's they're in the middle of the war in the real world, but they don't know that. Again, it depends on I would love ideally to have enough content that 80 percent of the film takes place before he escapes the Matrix. I don't know if there's enough like for me, I, I couldn't I think that'd be kind of cool. I, I wasn't quite sure because then it's it's almost like where it starts off again. It starts off in a very that was even my fear is that it, it does kind of sound almost too stereotypical where you get kind of like, you know, the young black man who's kind of living in, in the slums and he's taking care of his mom. He had to drop out of college and it's kind of like it feels almost cliche. Um, but at the same time, that's kind of the point where it's not supposed to feel matrixy yet because he's just this average everyday guy who then the conflict that I would see is the conflict between his reality and reality reality and how his reality, it's funny where it's kind of like, it's almost that opposite of like, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And like, this is kind of saying, well, bad things shouldn't happen to good people because that's why your life is not real. It's like, well, 
I mean, I guess in this context, that's that's why he stops believing in reality. Well, now my, my concern is I, I think back to my pitch for Back to the Future in our first episode where there was no time travel. It was just Doc and Marty meeting and having their non-time travel you know, introduction and adventures. And that's what I kind of worry about with this scenario where you're saying like that it would be mostly be about his journey and accepting the reality and then getting into you know the real world and experiencing that culture and things like that i guess like are our matrix fans going to feel very disappointed that there's really not any action or there's not any like mystery that he's i mean he's I, sort of i solving think that it, one way to maybe remedy that is to have uh, a young officer smith hmm okay right yeah but you're right i mean like some certain like chase scenes or something like that but it's tough because yeah at no point at least in the the so far that i had that could be something that we could figure out a way of adding yeah at no point do we see any interaction with someone from outside the matrix coming back in because that was the appeal of the first movie is those these outsiders that knew they could modify and that maybe that could be well they didn't really do it in the force awakens but that kind of idea where it's kind of like He's discovering that he has powers, kind of, because he's discovering that when he doesn't, like, he can manipulate reality. Would that make sense? I think, see, I think that's very interesting because then, yeah, if he's learning about that, he's, like you said, he's noticing the anomalies. He's noticing these things that he wasn't seeing before. And then now he's kind of essentially gaining superpowers. And I think it'd be very interesting to see how he uses that. Like before yeah. he goes into the real world. So what what does he do with these yeah. powers and how does he use, use it to help his family? Does he use it to kind of, you know, be a, a hero in, in his neighborhood or how is he going to apply it? And is is there in in the Matrix someone that is his major like, you, you know, you said, like, for example, his buddy got shot down. Is there going to be, you know, this, you know, crime boss or gang leader, or whoever, again, kind of generic but that he has to battle with and he can use his powers to defeat those things. But it gets very philosophical for him in the process. Now right. he's starting to think like, what does this all mean? How is this possible? And well, is it's the, I was going to say, it's the tough part about with the story of the matrix is that the understanding up, you know, in the first one is that no human plugged or unplugged can defeat an agent. So, like, if he comes up against Mr. Uh, 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 Officer or whatever, Smith, he's not going to win. He can't win. He cannot defeat him. Like, that's, that's an established well, part of Well, maybe Officer Matrix Smith lore. isn't an agent yet. He's not, he hasn't hit that power level or whatever that is. Or, but why would he be after Morpheus? That's one, that's one question, because does Morpheus have well, just, the same... Maybe Officer Smith is just trying to keep the peace and... okay. Uh, John Baptiste is uh, ne'er do well or whatever, or or it's totally racist, you know. <laughs> like, it, Officer Smith is just a racist cop, and well, except for because th that was the whole thing with the Smith program is that then that was why he came after Neo in the first movie. Is the Smith program was like the reason he came after Neo is because Neo was in contact with Morpheus and was in well one help us get to Morpheus was his goal through Neo, but also like I don't want this kid get like breaking free either. 
So okay. that could be my thought is that the agents and because that, that was even my idea with the guy in the wheelchair is that the agents could like come and take him down, except he's in a wheelchair. So that's not all that exciting. But there could be some sort of a conflict there. Like, you know, they're coming to take him away or something. And then. Yeah. And yeah. like you said, there's, there's the no record the of it. Yeah. Can the guy in the wheelchair control the Matrix? I mean, that's up to you guys. Well, I mean, wasn't that not, the point? I mean, what if he Matrix? can and there is a fight scene there? Like he's in a wheelchair. Nobody sees it, but he fights the agents to some degree because jeff isn't that what happened in the animatrix uh, segment didn't he like yes he like blew out his kneecaps but then because he didn't accept it then he could run and do all those things so no it... that's not really how they ended it oh okay well because they they end it because so basically with it, again if we're if we're using the exact this is the guy from the animatrix we can use the same name and everything like that is that yeah he's a sprinter that he blows out his knees and basically he he escapes the matrix for a second and then he gets thrown back in and he gets he gets hobbled so he can't walk anymore and then the very last scene shows him like almost like rising like he can stand but then he falls over okay. and so we're kind of left with he certainly has it's not that he has superpowers or he can fly or he can act real fa- like nothing like that was hinted now, if we want to throw that in, that that that's possible. It might be a a step where he's kind of like I'm a cool Yoda, maybe. Yeah, well, that's why I feel like because he's more he's the mentor yeah. for for Jean Baptiste, so he's telling him like take that moment, you know, like you can reach that moment and then live in it, type of thing, where like you you reach that that ability to you know break through the matrix or overcome the matrix, and then you can continue that something something of what that nature so it's something he's working towards yeah what if he's like and i'm not ex- i can't think of another another person to compare him to but what if like because i kind of I, I, I can get the idea of him being like the yoda the like i've i've touched it i've tasted it i know i don't know what i saw but i saw something but it's like what if he's wrong like he gets it but he doesn't know why it's almost like, and that would be the like twist kind of. I mean, the audience, I guess, would already be in on it, but it's just like, it's almost like he's a bad mentor. It's like he's teaching right. him the wrong thing somehow. Could we do that? Hmm, okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because so, he doesn't really know. He's never yeah, been Yeah, like he doesn't know that there is another world. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah maybe he's giving him bad information that like works, that. but, and that somehow he needs, so what would be the X? My original thought was, again, to get somebody else I go back and forth. Is it on one part, I like this idea of, of a mentor. I like this idea of like somebody else that comes in contact with Morpheus that says, hey, like here's the story. Here's what's going on. But on the other hand, I kind of like the fact that he just like, he does it all on his own. And that's why he's so like, people are so Distraught blown away when he, he beat him. Commits suicide to escape. I really like the committing suicide to escape. So I think that what the... Um, uh, the guy in the wheelchair can do is teach him all this stuff, teach him the control that he learns, very philosophical, very Zen Buddhist, like that control of your world. And so he does, Morpheus does gain these superpowers through his belief. And I don't know to what extent we want to go superpowers, but right. that can be decided. But no matter what, despite all of this work that he does throughout the movie and has victories, life is still the same and he can't quite overcome 
Hmm. The fact that his family is in a terrible situation, the fact that the Ooh. cops or the agents can still keep him down. So I like instead that. of accepting that world, he just he decides to not maybe give up, maybe escape. I don't know. Has he like fallen so far that he gives up and commits suicide or? Well, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. He used to believe it and. Yeah. Well, it, where it's like it's like the, the, the and that could be the bad Yoda idea where it's like the what the guy teaches him is he teaches him not that reality is fake, but he teaches that you can control your own reality. And it's just like so ultimately he's yeah, he's still stuck right. in this reality but modifying it, but it, yeah, you're right. Like where it takes that extra push, he's got to realize that no, 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 it's reality that is broken. I like that. Right. So so now would we have it at a certain point though as Morpheus is getting more powerful that the Smith program would be, you know, causing problems with him throughout then T- or take him down a peg? Yeah, like he's recognizing yeah. what the issue is. So he, like you said, he's keep knocking him back and then and then he finally gets to that that point. So I think there would be a, I kind of am visualizing like maybe two I mean I I don't know how much action like makes action uh or makes an action movie but um like i kind of see one where there could be like yeah maybe when they come to to take away although i don't know if they want to do it in the night or something like that but if they come to take away the the wheelchair guy is that there could actually be a conflict where he does attempt to fight them and then yeah gets his butt kicked or whatever but then another one where it would be cool to have like a chase scene where and they didn't i don't feel like they really did it in the first or in the matrix movies but to do like morpheus is realizing that his abilities give him like like he's doing like parkour stuff where he's jumping off walls and he's doing all that sort of flipping over you know jumping through windows and everything like that and then so honestly like all of that to me feels like the first hour of a film and then he and then at that point then you're saying he does the jump and then he does go into the real world and cuz I think you could easily cuz these this is going to be a two and a half hour movie i mean there's no doubt about that so well to, unless though like justin was saying like if we want to make this big moment of his like suicide like the big climax if that happens at the yeah. halfway point then it's not really a climax well, but but at the same time, I, I guess that's just where I, I still... Yeah, I mean, I can I can see it going either way, but if his suicide is... If that's a suicide, if that's a, like, pivotal emotional moment, mm. then that's going to be the climax of the movie. If it's this, just that he... At the beginning, we see him not doing well, and we don't... I mean, I think that if it's the beginning of the movie that he escapes, and the movie is him going back and forth between the matrix or discovering Zion or whatever, then that's a whole different thing. From what I'm understanding, it sounds like the, this is the, the movie is in the matrix and the last maybe like minute or 10 maybe are when he escapes and climbs down and gets rescued. I see. So, and but, like, but the whole, the whole idea of, he meets, of, uh, of, of him believing uh, 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 in his people. girlfriend and, and all that stuff. Because, because like the, the one thing Jeff hinted at, you know, is that he becomes, the spiritual leader he becomes the person you know who inspires people but we're saying that that would either be in a, in a separate film or that's just implied that that comes later really all it is is the triumph is that i, he broke I think through. so i really want to see one whole movie dedicated to his becoming spiritualized himself mm. and him discovering Ooh. that in himself I like and that. And then he's able to bring it to other people if there ends up being a sequel. Because really, like, at, at me, for me as a moviegoer, like, I want to get involved and be 
100% on Morpheus's side and watch his evolution as mm-hmm. a character. And I want to do do that through the whole movie, through the action sequences, through the lessons that he takes with the guy um, in the wheelchair. Like I want to, I want to follow Morpheus through this whole thing. Now let me let me say this: that anyway. my concern is that the film then essentially becomes pro suicide, and that's the part I'm missing when he makes the jump. We've talked about his motivation being essentially that he can everything be really be this terrible. He doesn't believe it. So he jumps to end it. But his belief is that that's the way to get out of the matrix. Is that correct? Right. That's why it's it's not a suicide. He's not saying I just can't take it anymore. I'm out of here. He's saying that I so disbelieve this reality that this is the way to prove it. Like, this is the way to separate myself from this reality. He's not dying. He does not believe he will die when he hits the bottom. He believes that's like his symbol of complete separation, complete freedom, complete whatever. That he believes the world is a beautiful, wonderful place. It can't be what he's experiencing. Would you say that's correct? Like, that's that's why we we know he has that type of, you know, optimistic outlook to a certain extent. I don't know that I would go to that extent of the beautiful, wonderful place. That it's it's more the idea that like this cannot be real. Yeah. This is this cannot be real so much so that it's like a dream and the only way you wake up from a dream, it one of the, one of the easiest ways or one of the only ways that he knows of is falling. And when you fall, you wake up. Okay. Now, what about because I don't want I, I but I but I see I Adam's know. point, and I think from the basis of like the studios, they might go, uh, "Crap, this is pro suicide. <laughs> we have to change that part well, of it." Well, that's why yeah, do that. You don't paint but, it that way. Yeah, you don't show yeah his body hitting the ground and like the image of you know the camera panning away from his lifeless eyeball or something like that. But that could be because that was the <laughs> second part too. Is that that what made me think is that if we do paint him as somebody who like has a family that's depending on him and it's like and he's leaving all of that behind, right. like that's a big deal too, which kind of adds to the his separation where it's like he's got a lot to leave behind. I don't know. I think I think just for in terms of like wanting to be on his side that maybe he's he doesn't have a lot to leave behind or like he does at the beginning and he's getting there but all that gets taken away from him like they all die or it's just like his mother that he's caring for or it's just maybe just his mom or something like that and then she dies leaving him able to attempt this kind of freedom without yeah like 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 she's the last connection that he had to this world sort of a thing that could play in too well, and, totally. and, that it was, and maybe it's yeah. in a fight scene or in a, in a struggle with Smith or whoever the bad guy is. Right, that, that's where I was going. Um, yeah. That he loses her. Okay. Smith kills a little old lady. Oh, <laughs> he Smith. He's evil. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, no, I, I think that that, that works. Because, again, yeah, it, it is a very engaging idea behind it. And the truth is, I know I was kind of pointing it towards like, oh, you know, happy positive ending but the truth is the matrix world that's not what it's about it, it's no, about those darker not choices. at all yeah <laughs> although it would and that that is the part two where it's like and i remember there was something about although it was kind of weird like when in the first movie when keanu was all naked and got ejected into the pool of slime and then he got lifted but there was something about like He's in this very monotonous kind of world. And then all of a sudden he's in this world of technology. And yeah, it was lame and they only ate this runny eggs or whatever it was. But it was this kind of thing that like if you're this kid that's grown up in the projects and then you come into this 
world of technology is that there is a certain like appeal i mean because again the name of the 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 name of the town city whatever is zion which is supposed to be paradise so there is kind of like a uh i don't know positive spin to it it's not like oh this is all you guys have out here well where else do you have super awesome crazy raves paradise oh well <laughs> yeah yeah but when you have samurai guys in giant robot arms with machine guns oh, now, there dear. you go oh that was awesome yeah oh well so so i guess i mean I, th- I think we we have a pretty good idea there and then, and then of where it's where it's all going just from the the basic plot points but when we talk about uh the title i mean really we just i mean morpheus right that's really all we need Morpheus. now has it gone i was a little and i don't know if it's just because we talked about it and i still think of tannin when we first started this whole thing is, is <laughs> yeah the one totally name thing? i was thinking about that too and creed, is it overdone? Like creed did the same thing is it just Creed? Maybe it is just Creed. I'm just thinking of Creed and Tannen, and but Tannen wasn't actually made into a movie yet. So no, nope. yet it will be. If we beat it out, you know, then then it uh, it comes out first. <laughs> well, that that was my first thought. Like, I like it just being called Morpheus. Did Morpheus have a last name? Well, no, Morpheus is like his hacker alias. His name is John Baptiste. Right. Hello, hello. Uh, John Baptiste anything, or is it just John Baptiste? Well, and now here's, just to be perfectly honest, and I tested this on my wife, so and it seemed to pass, and it seemed to pass by you guys. Now, theologically, in the Matrix trilogy, Morpheus's role is of John the Baptist. From the Bible, that's John the Baptist's role to point everybody to the Savior is coming. So that's why Got I wanted it. to name him John Baptiste. So hopefully that's subtle Got enough it. not to be like, seriously, come on. No, that works. I like it. Okay. I dig it. So, but but but, but you just can make your... it an anagram. We could spend ten minutes rearranging the letters. <laughs> oh. Oh. But Jeff, to your point, um, I I just with the title and creed and all of that, I think that's very now. So so to cool. me that makes sense that you would just call it Morpheus. And I was like instantly, yeah. I was like Hollywood would cast Michael B. Jordan as Morpheus. That's Which where was my they first would go. choice as well. Yeah. Totally. Well, isn't he? he yes. Unfortunately, he's kind of the. Not he's only not the it guy, but he's just kind of like he's the the young black actor of the day. I mean, Cuba Gooding Jr. is too old and hasn't done anything. What's his name? No one would take uh, Kevin. Uh, um, what's Kevin his name? Hart? Seriously, Kevin Hart. So like, what what are your oh other choices? Oh my god! Exactly, <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> It's his chance. It's his chance to. Uh... Kevin Hart's the guy in the wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's uh, let's talk so... casting then, because I think you know titles pretty much you know uh, agreed upon. But yeah. So I mean, Michael B. Jordan seems like he'd be the go-to guy. I just wonder, like, is, is there anybody else we can think of who maybe just like hasn't I, I, had? Honestly, I go back to Donald Glover. I really like Donald Glover. I think he's Donald great. Glover. I think he can do he can do straight serious really well. But and does also, he do straight, like, serious, weird it, guy or kinda, straight, I mean, serious, awesome guy? Yeah, but I, the would... thing is, I, I haven't seen him do like straight, serious, you know, I haven't I haven't seen him do a like leading man, anything, you know, everyday dude yet. But I, from his work in community, I would say, like, I don't see him having a problem doing uh that but no it's not like every role you see him in he's definitely morpheus well the tough part is though with 
Because it is that, is the fact that whoever this person is needs to grow up to be Lawrence Fishburne. And right. like, I don't, I don't know that I see Donald Glover growing up to be Lawrence Fishburne. Be that guy, yeah. Now, what about, I don't know if you guys saw that show, what was it called? Almost Human with the, the, the robot guy. Oh, Michael Ely. Uh, Michael Ely? Yeah, that guy. He could do it. I think that's a good idea because it's, totally it's fun it. to have more of an unknown than... going for it. You know, like who, yeah. like you said, can grow into the role and be kind of be defined and found in that role. I like him. I think he's great. So, okay, well, let's go. Michael Ely, you said was his name? Yeah. Michael B. Jordan has everything else. So, Michael Ely. <laughs> we'll choose Michael exactly. Ely. Give the guy a chance here. Come on. So, what about guy in the wheelchair? Who, unnamed guy yeah. in wheelchair. But okay. who, who did you say? So, I don't know. So, in the Animatrix, what is he like? What does he look like? Is he tall and lanky? Is he like short and fat? What? Well, he's a he's a sprinter, so he's kind of like he's kind of rust. I think he has like dreadlocks and stuff like that. It is it is like a it is like a, a Japanese style anime, so it is kind of weird looking. He does kind of look like I mean he's a sprinter, so he's tall and lanky with these massive legs. I guess okay. like when I when you know um... it makes sense. You would think that. If that's the type of neighborhood that Morpheus is growing up in or John Baptiste is growing up in, then the idea would be that, you know, the people around him would probably be similar, you know, ethnicity wise. So that's where you kind of start getting into, okay, who are the character, who are the actors, like you said, that maybe are too old now, but can play a mentor role, but not necessarily the leading man role in this type of, you know. And the fact that, yeah, when he's older. Trying to think of like a skinny, lanky, old black dude. I mean, he's going to be in a wheelchair. He's going to be in a wheelchair. So he could have put on some weight over the years. Yeah, Right. (laughs) And who knows what he looks like sitting down, you know. And and but also somebody who plays wise, you know, that is not, you know, the Morgan obvious Freeman, choice. Man. Yeah, we don't need Morgan Freeman, at, oh, you know, again. No, more <laughs> right. Morgan Freeman. So so you know, it's kind of you look at it and say, okay, uh-huh. well, I mean, there's Denzel Washington, Wesley but Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes. <laughs> I mean, I I just I, I'm trying to think of like the dramatic actors that Denzel would be cool or do Denzel maybe. I mean, I think he'd be great. Uh, would he do it? But I mean, his, it's not that his well, career is skyrocketing now. So it seems like, you know, he's kind of in, in that type of vein where he could play a smaller part, but that's meaningful. Idris Alba, when in doubt, he's the guy these days. Everybody seems to oh, love him. Oh, dude, he's so good. <laughs> he should he? just be in everything. I'm so over him. Uh, Sorry, Idris, so. if you're listening. <laughs> I mean, but if you if you look at, you know, I don't know if Delroy Lindo's way too old, but I loved him in Congo, <gasps> and he'd be great. I know he does Isn't dramatic he? work, but Delroy Lindo, what about that? Yeah, I think he'd be an, a. He's really not cool too choice. old. How is he too old to be an old man? Come <laughs> on. That's crazy. Uh, that's a good point. It's a good point. Delroy Lindo. Let's what about Danny Glover? Danny Glover. Ooh. I don't know. This is you guys. What in in American history or American literature in high school? We watched Danny Glover doing a raisin in the sun oh, production, yeah. and it was pretty terrible. Like his dramatic work. Like I feel like you, you like him in Naked Gun because he's sort of ridiculous and over the top, but he's kind of funny Naked because gun. of that. He's leave the weapon. Yeah. Did I did I say what I said? Naked Gun. You said Naked Gun. <laughs> yeah. He would have been great Naked Gun too. Um, <laughs> No, but okay. Yeah, yeah. That's what I meant, though. Lethal weapons. 
but but I just I guess I worry about him in a dramatic role because even like the closest I've seen him play to something like that is in Be Kind Rewind, which is a film I love. But even then, he was sort of like, yeah, I don't know if I'm taking him seriously here. You know, he's kind of silly. Guys, which guys, was. guys, what about Jeffrey Wright? Jeffrey Wright is from what? He was the most recent thing I think of him in is... Um, Wait, what? Hunger Games or... Uh, the guy from Crash? Yeah. Isn't he Spanish? Nope. I, I mean, know. I don't. he might be Spanish. I don't know. <laughs> he could be Spanish. But it's all about being the right man for the role. So I guess the idea is like, uh, you know what? One thing we do have to think about to a certain extent is, I know, and I know we said he's been in a wheelchair, but is there someone who represents, looks like they could have been an athlete at some point? Like yeah. Danny Glover doesn't strike me as someone who is an athlete in his youth. I'm sure he, he probably was. You know, he probably played ball at high school, something. But you know what I'm saying? But he doesn't strike me as that when I first see him. Neither does Denzel. Because Denzel just seems kind of like a smaller Honestly, I'm going to go with Denzel, dude. I, really? I would like to see Denzel do Denzel. that. Play an old man, huh? Okay. Well, he did it in the hurricane. I'd just like That's to see him be Sen guide who yeah. used to be all-star, all-pro, and is now like just kind of stupefied, but is willing to guide this All right, kid. Denzel. Or Ving Rhames. Ving Rhames. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Ving Rhames. But Ving Rhames, yeah. I don't no, think no, he was, I did, that know, wasn't serious. So Denzel. Is, is Louis Gossett Jr., did he pass away? If not, he's exceptionally old at this point. Well, that's Again, the point. Again, not though. too old to be an old man, but it's too old to give us the performance anyway. we want. All right. So, yeah, but Denzel. yeah, I like what you were saying, Adam, or Justin, that, that idea of like, it, especially if there was somebody who like, oh, and I can't think of anybody. Denzel isn't quite there where it's somebody who like 30 years ago was an A-lister. And then these days is just kind of like not, which. Um, yeah. So here's an idea, kind of random. What about Eddie Murphy? Hmm. That thought occurred to me. Can Eddie do serious ever? Dude, I think he can. I I mean, I'm trying to like think what I've seen him in that he played it like so freaking serious but i i don't know man i feel like that would be a really cool that Norbit. That's, that's something serious that would if he pulls it off and in the trailer looks like he pulls it off that alone might bring people to theaters yeah. it's possible but it, it, if you look at actually eddie murphy's early film work i feel like even though he was supposed to be the comic relief he did actually play stuff kind of straight. He was just snarky and had, you know, had yeah. an attitude, but right. like he had pretty dramatic, you know, in 48 hours, you know, and stuff like that. Like there was that tension there. So it seems to yeah. me like he could play, you know, a, a serious part if he can bring himself back to that point, I guess. He's probably got that locked away somewhere. There you go. Martin Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I can get behind those. Those or Denzel? Oh, are or we sticking Eddie with, Murphy? Are we, are we, is one? it Eddie or is it Denzel? I'm gonna go with Eddie Murphy then. I th I like that like because there's yeah. there's that double double entendre or whatever of like the career resurrection as well as um, the reality part of it too for the audience. Okay, now and is yeah. is is Hugo Weaving back as Officer Smith? Because the Smith program should no. look the same always, or no? no? Younger, younger version. They gotta go younger. Really. Well, but he's a he's a computer yeah. program. He doesn't age. I, why not? Because he's a computer program. <laughs> <laughs> he's he an earlier age. version of the Smith but program. But my retort is the train scene where the computers have kids and they're older 
And so obviously there's some kind of oh. evolution, at least to our understanding, you know, like maybe they don't age, but in our comprehension of them, we have to see them grow to some degree. They grow, you know. But you, know, you don't think there's like a desire for Matrix fans to have that link to the original? Yeah, because we're not getting Lawrence Fishburne. Can we get right, there's somebody? There's no Lawrence Fishburne, there's no Keanu Reeves or whatever her name yeah. was. Nah, man. I think we're going it. full original. Right. Full, go full original. Now, what, what I, what I, for some reason, who jumped into my head, I have no reason why, but I was like, John Mulaney, stand-up comedian John Mulaney, would what? make a great Agent Smith. <laughs> to me, he just looks like him. Like, put on sunglasses, he could totally pull it off, and he's got that deadpan voice already. Oh, my God. Just, I don't know if he could play it super dramatic. I don't but know. I mean... I would be blown away if John right. Mulaney went up on screen and was Officer Smith and just played it so I I've never seen it, but that'd be amazing. It seems like we're putting a lot of these comedic actors and we want them to stretch themselves. We're like do exactly. it do it for us. Always. Oh. I love I love seeing that's the something I love seeing on uh yeah. in if we're already asking Eddie Murphy, I don't know. What if Doubling Eddie doesn't deliver, and then like... we also have John Mulaney, and people are just like, "What were you thinking? We'll it's never work in this town Let's again." Let's just make it a comedy. Oh, we tried. You tried. You tried your best, my friend. And uh... Uh, but yeah, who else? Who else? God, who I don't is know. Who, who a is lanky that actor guy? Yeah, but like a younger version of that dude. What about Guy Pierce? Ooh, Guy Pierce would be awesome, but he's I'll always older. Throw Guy Pierce in there. Yeah, isn't Guy Pierce pretty much the same age as Hugo Weaving? That's what I was gonna say. Is he? He's forty-eight. Yeah, but he yeah, looks I feel younger. like that's Doesn't older than Hugo Weaving was. Hugo? Hugo's fifty-five. No. Get that other guy. Younger? I think he. Well, the thing is, he looks about the same age as Hugo did in the Matrix. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but he sounds so much older. Hugo always sounds old. <laughs> no, but who? <laughs> who's that guy? I think he's and on that's a show. Why you hate him. It's called oh. Burn Notice, and he was also at like L.A. Confidential. Ooh. He's the poor man's Guy Pierce. No, he wasn't. You're thinking of Guy Pierce as an L.A. Confidential. Totally. I know what guy. you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's that guy's name? The Michael. Thing is Weston. that guy also? I think is looks older than Hugo Weaving did when he originally did The Matrix. Now, I think if you take that guy when he originally did Burn Notice, totally, because he's he's he was in the most recent epi- uh, season of Fargo, and he. He's a little bit older. He's not like old by any standards, but like he's about as old as Hugo Weaving. Fargo, Colin the... Hanks. Colin Hanks is no, Agent Smith. No, 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 <laughs> no. Fine, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. He can oh, well, do anything. Uh, definitely, okay. definitely younger. What about Andrew Lincoln? Let's just throw out Andrew Lincoln. Hmm? Rick Grimes Who's from Walking that? Dead. Okay. The main guy from Walking Dead. And uh, uh, I know. mean, again, he's kind of that older. I think look. he would need to be like late twenties. Hey, how about how about the guy from Gotham? How about the guy who plays Gordon on Gotham? Oh, the Ooh. guy from the OC. Yeah. Interesting. Because he's just so serious looking and kind of blank faced. Anyway, throw some sunglasses on him. He's got it. Benjamin McKenzie. Yeah. He needs some feature I'm work. Not right? gonna lie. Five years I'm younger. I'm not a big than fan of his Gotham. <laughs> I like the he's show, steely. but he's definitely steely-faced. That's for sure. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's, he's got the face of steel. Oh, uh, we're so particular about our casts. <laughs> no idea. Uh, I have no idea. Who the new Agent Smith is so I'm important. Thinking even younger. Like I'm. I don't know. I think like another. If we will, have we cast Morpheus? Yeah, Michael Ely. Who do we put in Morpheus? Yeah, we put Michael Eaves. Oh, Eaves. Yeah. Completely. 
Okay, so it's got to be to Sorry, someone who's as old as Michael Ely. Yeah, totally. Uh, um, ben McKenzie. Done. They're about the same age. Let's do that. And so who else we got? Well, really, I mean, the young I, Oracle. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Would it be that? It'd be like the family or his friends, yeah, but that's probably not or... really important unless we really want to make you know those relationships have a major actor in there, so that when they die, it is more impactful. So we want to put someone in there people already kind of have a history and connection with from yeah. their no, body I think, work. I think that's got to be. They can, yeah. I don't think you can double up because I think if you're going to kill off Eddie Murphy, then that, then that's 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 you can't be like, and oh, then we're going to do it again to mm, you. No, it's going to be one. Yeah, so that's what I think. Yeah. Those three Maybe characters the are the most important. A... Uh, if we're talking, you know, poster art for something like this, it seems kind of obvious to me that it would just almost be like his face with the Morpheus glasses on. And and that would just be kind of like, even though that's not really a part of it, I think people would need that imagery to understand what we're selling them. Yeah. Okay. So you got that. What do you have? Do you have the... I think it would be, uh, I was going to say, I think it'd be really cool to have, to have his face in the glasses, but like in the green, like in the green lettering that's coming, that's flowing down. Okay, so so now what my my thought was actually just like maybe his face, but you're it's kind of all dark and it's just like a light lightly lit, you know, and so you're just seeing his face with the glasses on. But I think that's a good point, Justin. Is we could put the Matrix Ooh, yes, or code. maybe in the glasses there's one green strain going down his glasses. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Okay. So it's just I a like hint that. of it. Yeah, because that's what. Well, because I was thinking. Yeah, and it could be because I like that, but we could do for another one. I was thinking something where because the funny, you know, if you guys remember that original poster or the one that goes on all that's on all of the DVD covers, that's the four of them standing there, and then you can see the lines of code in the back. But the interesting thing is, especially for us that had never before we saw the movie, the 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 lines of code look like rain, so it looks like it's rainy, like. Because you didn't know what the heck that code actually was. Mm -hmm. um, but my thought was, right. is if at one point, if we wanted to use the code, but to have the code like either be bent around him or maybe like be broke, like he's breaking through it or something where the code is being interrupted by his body or his head or something like that. Well, the interesting, what if it was just, you know, we still have like him in the darkness with the glasses and the code, piece of code going through the glasses. But also, what if it was just he had a finger and it was kind of wrapping around his finger type thing where it's just showing like that type of control where he's just, you know, just kind of. Finger? What does that mean? <laughs> well, it means he's got the matrix wrapped around his finger. He's, well, you know, I know, but so you just he's have got the code wrapped finger? around his finger. I don't get the. <laughs> I don't. I don't see this image. I, I well, see I mean, it would be his hand, but I'm just saying one finger extended, and you kind of see it. But maybe that doesn't quite convey what we're going for. It could be him. I think because he's flicking off the crowd. <laughs> it, does, it, it does seem. This is my movie. I don't care what you think. I'm Morpheus. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what if he was tapping the code and it was breaking apart? That could be interesting. I don't know how you show tapping on a poster. <laughs> It's one of those where you walk Lenticular, by and changes, yeah. or oh, you like you, you know you move up and down, <laughs> <laughs> and he's just he nods at you. So, yeah. <laughs> 
I, I see you, Justin. I see you're I see you're moving up and down. That's that's very mm-hmm. nice. But like, um, I don't know if it's necessary. I, I, just, I'm going to go with just the face and the and yeah. line of code. I think that's the simplicity I think that's plenty. of that. I, th- I like that. Okay. And then soundtrack wise, this was my big question because I was like, this movie doesn't feel like it needs the techno soundtrack, but at the same time, I'm like, it, that's almost essential to the Matrix. So I I was kind of like torn. I was like, with yeah. this with this idea we're going where so much of it is taking place in the Matrix and there's not as much i don't know it feels like there's not a whole lot of technical aspects and speak to it i wonder well, if I th- you go a different right. route i think what would be cool because i was thinking the same thing and that's one of the things that i really like you see it much more you see it in all of them it gets progressively worse as the movies i mean worse in a good way as the movies go on um but they have as you watch the, the these movies you see that when they're in the matrix everything has a very like yellowish dirty kind of tint to it and then when they're in the real world even though everything is dirty it the tint is kind of gone and so it looks more real when they're there so i thought it would be cool if like as the movie is going on like the tint could maybe become progressively more and more like the you you wouldn't even notice it necessarily as an audience member but that it's starting things are starting to get yellower and dirtier and everything like that almost imperceptibly and so maybe the same thing could happen with the soundtrack where it's kind of like as he's getting more and more aware of the 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 matrix is that the music does become a little bit more Technic techno and it becomes oh, a little bit more yeah. frenzy like as that. he's learning Jeffrey things, kind of Jeffrey Campbell Smith. <laughs> you were, you were doing it, dude. Yeah, nice. I like that a lot. Not only not only are you telling us like big picture visually what the movie's gonna look like, but also the soundtrack. I love it, dude. I think that's great. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the way to take it. So like maybe it does start out with more. I don't know if contemporary music's the way to go, but maybe if it was kind of like, yeah, I don't know, hip hop style or whatever it is, yeah, like, you know, R and B type stuff. Somber and, and yeah. yeah. And then it, then it works its yeah. way into techno stuff as this stuff is heating up and the action is happening and the realization is occurring. So yeah, that's great. I think I think that works really well. Last question, I guess, you know, just in keeping with all this, but are we going for the R rating? Does it look like this that's gonna be necessary with this film? I mean, would it oh, would yes. it keep people away if there was if, if it was we're Killing, if Agent Smith is going to kill somebody's mom, and then he's going to jump <laughs> and off a dude in a wheelchair. Uh, okay, okay, fair enough. So now, one thing we didn't hit on a, at the top of the episode, just as we close out here, is are we kind of in agreement that the really the first Matrix film was the Wachowskis? blaze of glory and everything else they've been doing since then has really kind of not worked i mean would we kind of agree i mean with that? did you see what was that movie they did with tom hanks where he did like <laughs> cloud an atlas accent? yeah uh, was that cloud atlas oh see. man yeah no, oh, but man. i did see i did the interesting thing is that we did, we went to go see uh jupiter ascending and for me, I do feel uh-huh. like th- they are bold. I will give them that. They keep shooting for totally. the stars. And so far, yeah. yeah, they haven't necessarily landed too many of them. I do feel, and that's the thing, like, because it's it, as difficult as it is for me, and I know, I don't think any, either of you are on my side anymore on this one, but um, it was the same battle that I fought with the postman. Kevin Costner's The Postman. It baffled me how everybody hated it because I thought it was such a good film. The same thing that I feel with these those second two Matrix movies, and I feel what they what they nailed with that first Matrix movie is that it, it does both, is that if you want to go deep, it can go deep. And again, that's why I watched it 
who knows how many thousands of times because it does allow right. you to go deep. But if you don't want to go deep, that's fine. You don't need to. You can just enjoy the bullet time and the slow motion and the explosions and all that sort of stuff like that. The right. other movies, if you just want that, it's going to be really lame and boring because it, it forces you to kind of go like to that point. And if you're not with them on that, if you, if you're not, if they haven't caught you, then, then yeah, it's, it's not going to be as engaging. And I think that's why they lost a lot of audience members. And maybe that's what happens with a lot of their other movies like Jupiter ascending. I felt like I want to go back and read the book. Cause there must be much more books about this, but there weren't, they just made it all up. And, and so I don't know. Yeah. And, and I do, I, like you said, I applaud them that they, do take so many chances and they do build these worlds and make these huge things i just yeah they just i don't, I don't think the concept has ever been you know uh it, i do think it goes back a little bit to the mystery it hasn't been mysterious enough and engaging enough the only one i'll say and it wasn't an original work by them but i loved v for vendetta i just think oh, yeah. that's an amazing movie but it comes from alan moore's you know awesome writing so that that'll do i it. did too yeah yeah but I, that was another yeah. one where not uh, yeah i thought more people would like that some people didn't enjoy that but again you went back with hugo, hugo weaving mm-hmm. you shaved natalie portman yeah there were a lot so, of people that didn't like yeah. that did that do well um i think critically it did well i i feel like maybe not so much box office wise but it was you know it's a yeah, maybe an acquired like taste it was very like, political I, vendetta i thought was yeah. yeah, yeah, that's another one that I really enjoy. But yeah, so but like, it, it, I, I think what's cool is we we have that hope for the Wachowskis. They keep, you know, obviously Hollywood keeps giving them shots, and they keep giving us inter- something interesting. Whether or not it's great or entertaining, uh, completely, it's still interesting every time. So I, I'm curious to see what they do next because I think they're adapting an anime series called. Uh, like Cowboy Bebop, I think is what oh, they're they doing. That? Yeah, I think that's their next stop. But, what? Um, yeah. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the big thing too that and that's, that's, and that's so cool. Like you're saying, Adam, that that I think that's the huge thing about the Wachowskis is, and it, I mean, like the Matrix alone is that like the movies that we watch today wouldn't exist if they hadn't done the Matrix because it's so revolutionized so much of the way people do stuff. And it is, I mean, like even, and I don't know if you guys saw um, um, uh, uh, Jupiter Ascending, but it was long and it was convoluted and it was everything like that. But there was definitely at least one scene where I was just like, oh my gosh, like how did they do this? Like it's, it was just visually and story-wise and everything like that very engaging. And they have that ability. And yeah, I, if they're going to be able to put it all together in one piece again, I don't know. But So with that, we thank you for joining us for this episode of Sequel Quest. It has been uh, an enjoyable conversation for us. We're glad you were along for the ride. And if you had as much fun as we did, go on over to iTunes, give us a five-star rating, leave us a review, you know, tweet at us, at SQPod on Twitter. We'd love to just kind of hear your opinions. Give us ideas. Is there a movie you think we should be talking about figuring out a sequel for? We'd love to hear it. Uh, Go on over to the website, check out all our different features, uh, and you can... Even uh, check out on Retro Days, uh, retrodays.org. I actually uh, write articles over there as Hoju Coolander, and we do have one up right now uh, for uh, all of our uh, our fans of Indiana Jones. There is going to be a, a retrospective there, so if you're catching up with the episodes, why not get a little supplemental information as well? 
All right. It looks like we've actually been infiltrated by some Smith clones to close out the show. So with that, goodbye, Mr. Anderson. Good evening, Mr. Anderson. That is the sound of inevitability. It is the sound of your death. Goodbye, Mr. Anderson. We thank you for joining us for this episode of Sequel Quest P.O.D. We hope you'll return next time when we discuss another film that never was. For more made-up movie fun, visit SequelQuestPod.com to see the schedule of films to be discussed in upcoming episodes, fan art submissions, and more. Follow us on Twitter at SQPod and share your ideas on our Facebook page. The films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest POD are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. And I am Jeff. So well said. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Jeff. <laughs> My name is Jeffrey. Uh, doesn't do it for me. Yeah. What was and your orgies and caves <laughs> and long <laughs> silences? Did that? Yeah. Uh, doesn't do it for me. Hit it, Jeff. All right, Justin. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> okay, that was the continuation. Let, let me start Stop. over. Let me start over. Okay, there. Uh, doesn't do it for me. All right. It looks like we've actually been infiltrated by some Smith clones to close out the show. So with that, goodbye, Mr. Anderson. Good evening, Mr. Anderson. (laughs) That is the sound of inevitability. It is the sound of your death. Goodbye, Mr. Anderson. Great job. Okay. <laughs> oh, that was painful. I why did my Mr. Anderson sound like a sound like an old man? <laughs> <laughs> you want to give it another shot? It sounded no. like a, it sounded like if Mr. Anderson like if the machines did age and he was like on his deathbed, that's what his like dying breath would there sound like. The Scooby Doo Scooby Doo Bane. <laughs> Scooby Doo Bane. The end. The end. The end. The end.